Hello world, welcome to this week's episode of Golf Subpar. I am Colt Nose, joined as always by the sleazy man, Drew Stoltz. How we doing, Drew? Well, I'm, I'm feeling more at home than ever before, dude. We're here not. at the Scottsdale <laughs> Open, Jicky Jack City. It's being dubbed as the masters of the mini tours this year. I've felt, I've never felt more comfortable. I feel like I'm, I'm back home. I've been released in my natural habitat again. Um, what well, are I'm, you doing is the question. I am not that comfortable, but I'm working on it. Um, I arrived today for a pro-am at, at a 144 pro-am. Um, I got here about 1.15, yeah. went out to hit some balls. Some gentleman on the range told me the range closes at 1.30. Yep. I was a little flustered. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I got two drink tickets. That was nice. That's nice, a nice perk. perk. Um, played, played with four lovely drunk gentlemen. It was a great time. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to tee it up in my first Jicky Jack This tomorrow. is as real as, I told you, dude, these things are fun. And you got to tell the story. What happened when you showed up to register? Oh. Give it to us. Some shit has never changed, that is for sure. I mean, back in my day on the PGA Tour, I would show up and they'd be like, sir, um, are you, who's your pro? Or, you know, during primes, who's your pro? All this. Or caddy registrations down the street. I walk in, this beautiful lady was sitting there. She's like, uh, your name? And I was like, Colt, no. She's like, um, do you know which group you're in? And I was like, yeah, I'm the 144. She's like, okay, which which amateur are you? And I'm like, yes. Some things never change. Yes. Huh? We're right back to where I started. To the jicks, baby. They don't even know you're a pro. They're here. gonna know. But really, how it's fun. It's a different vibe. You've never been a part of it. You're not getting the full experience with the hotels and rooming with dudes and stuff like that. But fun day. Please, I played with some awesome guys. Four dudes from United Reynolds. They couldn't have been more fun. They enjoyed themselves immensely, I must say. That's what you do in a pro-am on the Jicks. If you're not coming out here to have five, six, 10, 12 cocktails, what are you really here for? I totally agree. It's uh, it, it was a blast. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. 7.30 is gonna be a little early, mm. but great group. Friend of the program, Kevin Streelman, and also a caddy up at Whisperock, Andrew Buckle. Oh, the legend, the Andrew legend. Buckle. Former tour player, Andrew yep. Buckle, by the way. Almost won at Torrey Pines back in his heyday. It's going to be fun. That's so a good bright, group. Bright and early. We'll be, we'll be getting after it. Absolutely. I cannot wait to see. I know you're a little, you felt a little disrespected this morning when the odds were released. You saw what you were going off as, as a, as a winner. You started at 100 to 1. Disrespectful? How did you take that? It was very disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, let's not just, let's not sugarcoat this thing. It was borderline a slap in the face. I mean, I think the last tour event I went, I played, I was 80 to 1. And yeah. I, no disrespect to the Scottsdale no. Open. The field was a little stronger at Waste Management. Yeah, watch but, yourself. Um, hey, it's okay. The line's already moved. You know, the gamblers have been heavy on me. I think I'm at 40 to 1 now, getting ready to go off. So uh, we'll see what happens. The secret's out. Well, this brings us to what we were getting into before all this corona and everything. We had a little gambling segment every week. we got to resume that this week, being that there is live golf and there are mm -hmm. odds being out there right now. So right now, we're going to do one favorite, quote unquote, and one underdog. We need a guy that's less than 100 to 1. We're going to draw the line right at 100 to 1, being that on the sheet you are at 100 to 1. So that's the cutoff. How convenient. We need one guy that you like better odds than that, and one guy at 100 to 1 or worse. I think I know where you're going with the 100 yeah, to 1. Well, I'm but gonna, go ahead and fire. I'm, I'm going to back myself. Smart. I like um, it. That's, that's for sure. And with as big a lead as I have, you should probably back me as well. This money needs to be multiplied, you know, by the way. This, this money counts this exactly count as like, like 20 grand if I pick the winner, <laughs> yep. by the way. No, it does. All right, keep uh, going. As far as um, one of the favorites, I'm going to go at 20 to 1, Brandon Harkins. Okay, good I like pick. Him. Local guy, knows this place well, um, should, should play well this week. All right, popular pick. I like that. Very good play. I'm going to go for my 100 to 1 or worse. I'm going with a guy who's exactly 100 to 1. He's not you because I can't pick you, although my heart is with you. I, I hope you I win this thing for the sake of our rep for our street cred here. I'm going Daniel Mirnicki. He's a former University. The Oregon player, very good player, won a bunch of times out there, and he's been around the Jakey Jack circuit, and he's done well, especially in California. So he's my 100 to 1. And then looking at the front end, if you're looking at the favorites, 
I got to go here, 18 to 1, Dylan Wu. He, dude, he's number five on the Corn Ferry money list right now. A lot of the guys out there are saying he's the real deal. He's great. He's a Northwestern grad. 18 to 1. I'm staying away from all tour players. Stroman doesn't get a pick. Lashley doesn't get a pick. None of these guys. I'm going Dylan Wu, 18 to 1. That's my favorite. Well, all right. I like it. Um, should be should be a good battle. Should be interesting. I, think I cannot wait to see how you fare in your first ever jig. I'm excited for it. But what I'm also excited for, the next man up on Golf Subpar, Sir Charles himself, this is a big one for us. Yeah, this is bucket list for you and I. I mean, no disrespect to the other guests we've had on Golf Subpar, but this is, I would have to say, by far the biggest guy we've had, literally and figuratively. Right. I mean, uh, it's going to be, it's awesome. No filter with Sir Charles. I can't wait to ask him some great questions. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Yep. Is one of the best. Hard to get a bigger guest, literally or figuratively, from here, but we'll see where we can go. But here he is, Sir Charles himself. All right, Colt. We teased it last week, and sure enough, here he is. He is NBA Hall of Famer, two-time Olympic gold medalist, one of the 50 greatest NBA players in the history of the game, and maybe, Colt, most impressively, the man responsible for single-handedly ruining the teaching credibility of Hank Haney, <laughs> Sir Charles, is in the house. <laughs> What's what up, up brothers? Oh, man, I'm nervous to be around you two. No, <laughs> How no. nervous? Oh, nervous since I borrowed a friend's sister to go to the senior prom. <laughs> That's nervous. I love it. I love it. That's nervous. I'm glad. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, this is this is awesome. You know, we've known each other for quite a while. I honestly can say when we first met, I didn't think I would ever be interviewing you. Well, when we first met, when I gave you my number, I didn't know you were not only going to call me all the time, you were actually going to move here. I love you, I man. Just I what I thought. You. you know, we played in a pro-am up in Canada at Wayne Gretzky's golf tournament. That's how we met. And then, like, when, anytime I play with pros, I say, hey, if you ever need anything, here's my number. I didn't think he was going to call me. Just being nice. Just <laughs> yeah, being yeah, nice. Just being yeah. nice. Then not only that, he moved here. He's I'm like, holy smoke, this dude is stalking me. Yeah, that's next. Like, hey, cool, man. What's your address? I'm looking at some yeah. property out here in Scottsdale. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm, listen, nobody can come in my neighborhood right now. It's desolate over there, man. It's cr You know, this thing is so, you have to joke about it because it's so crazy and sad because. You know, you got people obviously who passed away, blessed them and their families, and you got these restaurants. I've been trying to eat out a couple of days a week uh, at my favorite spots just to, you know, pick up food to keep them. Because uh, a lot of those restaurants aren't going to open yeah. up again. Uh, because, you know, even when they open up, people ain't going to have money to go out to eat. And also, people going to be uh, scared of congregating. So, man, uh, shout out to all the people, obviously, the healthcare workers, the nurses, and the doctors, but think uh, just. Hopefully things will work out for all the people who work in the hospitality industry. For sure. That's that's very well said. But, you know, we were lucky. Well, I was lucky enough to play nine holes of golf with you yesterday. And I will say you're getting your swing's getting a little better. <laughs> you know, I can't do it consistently. Shout out to my teacher, uh, Hank. Uh, not Hank. I love you, Hank. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, you, Hank. We tricked him. <laughs> yeah, Hank. Uh, Stan Utley, who's been working with me for the last couple of years. I've actually played better in the last two years than I played in the last 20 years. Uh but uh, Hank has uh, been a, he was a, he's been a great friend and a great teacher for a long time. But, you know, I met Stan at Tom Lehman's golf tournament about a couple years ago. And, and you know, Stan's might be the nicest guy in the world, but I'm right here. Uh, yeah, OK, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Coat and nice. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. No, but, uh, you know, Stan's been great to work with. What's he doing different? Like you went through the Haney Project, you did all that. What's Stan doing different with you? Well, he's trying to get all these demons in my brain, you know, because, you know, people forget I used to actually be a good player. And then I started, I think it all went downhill when I got traded to Phoenix. 
Um, so I only played golf during the summer, and I was I broke eighty, and I was gonna shoot seventy nine to eighty five every time I played. You know, I was a good player, and then I got traded to Phoenix, and then everybody can play here, and I'm like, my golf game ain't. I can't play and play well out here shooting those numbers. I got to get better. So I just started taking uh, less from every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world. And my brain got so many voices in it. I have no idea what to think when I'm over the ball. I don't know if it's Butch Harmon. I used to put, when I, when I remember when me and Tiger played together a lot, I played take less from Butch Harmon. Then I met Hank. Uh, you know, I met Robert Baker. Every time I play with a pro, he says something to me. I get his advice. And then uh, Stan just said, dude, let's just try to simplify all those demon voices in your head. So that's the main thing that Stan did. He said, Charles, you can't think about 10 different things, which is like how I started going crazy with my golf game in the beginning. Well, it's, it's funny, though. We played yesterday, and, like, you don't hitch at all with the irons. You don't have the hitch at all. It's just with the driver. And I tried to ask you yesterday, I go, what are you thinking about over the driver? And you go, I've got no idea. <laughs> I, I, you know, because it's, it's, it's self-subconscious yeah. in my in my brain. I think I'm just trying to hit the – instead of swinging the club with the driver, uh, I just try to hit the ball instead of swinging the club. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys like yourself who have been pros for a long time, this is – just swing the club and let the ball get in the way. And I can do that with my wedges and things like that. But for some reason, you know, you just want to hit the driver hard and far. For sure. Which is why I'm a moron on a golf course most of the time. <laughs> so talk talk to us about the Haney Project. So was do you think that was probably the hardest you've ever worked in your life at anything? Because that looked like that was full-on boot camp for you. Well, other than basketball, uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever did. I mean, and Hank is... I tell people this, Hank is one of the hardest working people that I've ever met. I remember the first time I started working with Hank, uh, it was at Tiger's wedding. And I, he said, you want to come hit some balls with me? And the last thing Tiger says to me, Hank likes to work. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm used to working. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I meet Hank early in the morning. And by two, we meet like eight o'clock in the morning and by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm, like, exhausted. <laughs> I've been hitting balls from 8, and, like, and then I get back, and Tiger says, I told you. <laughs> I said, this dude crazy, man. But he 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 wants to he, – he's a big, obviously, repetition guy. Uh, but that's the hardest – it was fun, though, because I wanted to get better at golf. You know, I, like, I want to – I realize now, if I could just shoot high 70s, 80s, that would be fine because, you know, you're out there with three of your friends. you drinking most of the time. You're smoking cigars. You know, Coach, I think a lot of things, like when you're an old, old jock, there's not a lot you can do. Like, I would never be stupid enough to go try to play basketball. Or, you know, you. It's, it, but golf is something you can do as you all get older. Like I say, you're, you're with your friends who are old has-beens too. And we're all old has-beens. And we talk so much trash. <laughs> That's the thing you miss the most about playing is the interaction in the locker room on the bus and the plane. At least with golf, 
you can at least ra- ride somebody unmercifully. Mm-hmm. And and that's the best thing about it. Are you still playing with like a bunch of like who's your group right now? Are you going out with like old dudes that play oh, in yeah. the league, uh, guys like that, Ra- or just regular well, guys? Roy Green, the great receiver for the Arizona uh, Cardinals. I uh, played with him. I played with him a lot. Chuck Robinson, oh NBA player. Eddie Johnson, who does a fantastic job on, on the Suns broadcast. Uh, Seth Jonah, great linebacker for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, Aaron. Actually, I got a text. I, I called Larry Fitzgerald, who's the greatest athlete in Arizona sports history, and I'm gonna try to get together and play with him this week. He can really play. He yeah. go. We talk about him all the time because he, he's up there, and like, yeah. man, he. You talk about working at it. Like he yeah. loves it. You know, but it's, it's man. It's it's. Uh, I, I sent him a text uh, last year. Only he would have a hole in one plan with President Obama. Yeah, like uh, uh, that—that's how great. He, I mean, he just everything he touches turns out good. I'm like, who in the hell has a hole in one with the president? He's the best. I mean, it. it can you? Th- I don't think there's anybody in the world that I and I'm a big sports fan. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in the world I'd rather have a hole in one with other than a president. That's got to be like the coolest thing ever. You got any hole in ones? No, no, I have not. You got any? I got a few. I got eight. Uh, see, that's just a, just an asshole. You are. That's <laughs> Drew, expl- how many you got? I got five. See, so that's together just, we got thirteen. Well, thirteen, thirteen man. Yeah, you, know, you should call it the two assholes bragging about having holes. <laughs> hey, in you one. asked the question. We don't I got any you. NBA. Well, MVP, I didn't think. So. I thought y'all was gonna say like one or two. Y'all didn't know y'all was gonna just throw it in there our face like that, America. <laughs> one NBA MVP equals thirteen hole in ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least. Sure. Yeah. At yeah. least. There's yeah. more people with hole in ones. That's amazing, though. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, because y- y- you know what's so funny? When I first started playing with pro golfers, I used to laugh at these guys. Like, they'd be arguing with their caddy. It's 125. Uh, yeah, like you can actually hit it 125 yards. Like, dude, try to hit it between 120 and 130. That's good enough. And they'd be like, no, we're serious. We can do it. And now my appreciation when I watch golf, I mean, we're talking about 30 years ago. Oh, longer than that. Because I started in like 80, 80, I'm not, 86, 87, somewhere there, I started playing golf. And I was addicted to it right away. But I'd just be playing with these pros and I'm watching like, yo, they're arguing over like five yards. <laughs> these guys must be really good. If they can like, I'm like, the ball can go a certain, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I, I love it. I love being out there. I love walking. Um, you know, it's weird playing golf in Arizona because you always have to ride. Yep. But, like, when I go to my summer condo in Philly, because you have to be crazy. Oh, which is another thing, man. It's hot as hell here. <laughs> this is yeah. the first time I've been here. You know, normally I'm in yeah. the playoffs. Yep. And I cannot believe how damn hot it is here. Yep. I was like, because we, we we probably would just be finishing the first round or beginning the second round of the playoffs. They started, like, two weeks ago. And I was like, man, it's hot here. It is. It's been warm lately, for sure. Yeah, it's been really warm. But you know what? Uh, I love going out there. I've been playing with the the Arizona Coyotes. We have a game uh, every Wednesday. Uh, Shout out to my boy Rick Tockett, the head coach. We have about 25 guys. And we have played every Wednesday for like the last six weeks. It's awesome. We have five foursomes. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. Out of Ganey? No, over at uh, Las Cendas. Oh, yeah. You go to Mesa. Yeah. yeah. Which is really weird because when I got traded here in 1992, we used to always play Las Cendas. 
And it was in the middle of nowhere. There was no 202 and 101. You would just have to drive on the road. And it took forever. Uh, but it's a beautiful golf course. But, man, I played I played there a lot when I first got here in 1992. But it was in the middle of nowhere. Thank God for the 101 and 202. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Charles, well, you know you always like to have a little bit of gambling going on. Can you? Yeah, man, which really sucks. Not, you know, no casinos. I, I mean – uh, that's what's going to be interesting about this whole coronavirus thing. You know, I think we got to accept the fact that number one, there's not going to be any fans at sporting mm-hmm. events. But how are they going to do the casino thing? Yeah, it's going to be weird. That's a dilemma. It's a dilemma because I told a friend of mine, if this, if you were to put, and, 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 and I'm being like, acting like I know stuff, but if you were to put this disease on in a casino, on cards and chips and slot machines, you could if the, you could actually wipe out the world, because we all know somebody who has been to the casino who's touched chips. You know, you got you you're handing cash back and forth. You got chips. You got slot machines. I mean, that's what's going to be very interesting when this thing opens back up. How are we going to go to restaurants again? How are we going to go to sporting events? And like. How do you sit at casinos? Like, uh, it's gonna be it's 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 really gonna be sad. Number one, but that's gonna be very interesting how you do that. I know, and we know you like the casinos. It's gonna save some people some yeah, money. Save, Tell you sure. that. Can't die with it. Let's for your family to fight over. <laughs> that's, that's wise. You know that's wise words. Yeah, trust me, man. You know they're gonna fight over it. Do you have a favorite story from gambling on the golf course back in the day, or gambling on anything? I know you used because you used to play pretty good and you used to gamble with the boys. Uh, I remember, you know, obviously everybody's talking about Michael Jordan right now. And we were playing golf one day and we were playing for like, I think a thousand dollars a hole. And I was shaking over this putt. <laughs> he said, that's good. It was a good size putt. He said, Hey, you might step in my line. That putt good. I said, dude, I'm gonna win. This is a thousand dollar putt. He says, pick it up. You're good. And he said, I need, cause I don't want you standing in my line. And I wanted to stand. I was like, oh, how much that put for? He says, 100000 I said, what? <laughs> I said, what? He said, 100000 I was like, man, that was, I was like, hey, my little thousand don't matter here, right? He's nuts. Oh, he was, you know what? He loves it. And I thought, one thing about that dance thing is, I thought, listen, man, everybody likes to gamble, especially if they have money. And I thought it was like, People making a big deal out of his gambling. Like I told him about my gambling. I said, I'm going to gamble. I don't care what the hell any of y'all say. I've never been to a casino by myself. Uh, you know, I like to drink too. I've never been to a bar and I was the only one there. So other people like to gamble and drink too. So it is what it is, brother. And they're making a huge deal out of that, like on the last dance. Like he's getting crucified for like, oh, I went out and played for 50 grand with, you know, whoever. Yeah. I lost 50 grand. It's like, dude, yeah. that, he, that's an hour. Maybe less. You know what I mean? Like, how is that a big deal? Guys go out and play golf and gamble. A guy's making $50 million a year and he's playing for ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Like, that technically is a lot of money, but not somebody who's got two or $300 million. Yeah. It's- I mean, so that's, that's like, uh, it, it, it was crazy. He and like I say, I got nothing but respect for this dude. He, he can do what he want to with his money. Well, speaking of another good friend of yours, I want to get your first impression because you talked about you met Hank Haney at Tiger Woods's wedding. That's the first time y'all got linked up. What was the first time you met Tiger Woods, and what was your first impression of him when you met him? 
I used to have a golf tournament for Auburn at um, Grand Cypress Resort. In Florida. In Florida. And I had my, that was my first, one of my first tournaments. And uh, we had a big party at Planet Hollywood. And somebody calls uh, somebody, uh, says, hey, Tiger Woods lives up the street. He wants to come to the party. And I'm like, is that a stupid question? Of course he can come to the party. <laughs> I think this is like when he first went pro. And obviously it was crazy when because uh, he shows up and everybody's like, what's going crazy? Uh, and he was awesome. And then my tournament was the next day. And he's and, and so he comes, he socializes, and we all have a great time. And we're sitting around, and after he says, "How long are you guys gonna be in town?" And I'm with my friend Quinn Buckner, and we're supposed to play golf. That was a Sunday night. We're just gonna play golf Monday, then gonna leave, leave. And we're like, "Oh, we got well." And we're like, "He said, what, what do you what you, what you got in mind?" He says. If you guys hang around, we can play golf. Like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to stay here and play <laughs> golf with you. And me and Quinn end up staying down in Florida. A couple like, dude, we got nothing to do. It's the middle of the summer. And we played golf with Tiger that Tuesday and Wednesday. Then we left. And that was the first time that I had ever met him. I actually talked to him. I actually, when I was here in Phoenix, I went and followed him on the golf course when he was in college. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know him. I didn't speak to him. But I heard he was in town, and me and the boys just followed him for some holes. Uh, and then I think it was probably uh, a couple a year later, somewhere in that time, when he came to my party at uh, Planet Hollywood. Yeah, you throw some nice parties. Oh yeah, I, you I know. So <laughs> I remember. That. So we had a. Remember when Planet Hollywood was the bomb? <laughs> I remember we had a, a great party here in Phoenix, and two of the most traumatizing events in my life happened. And uh, so we played a game, and they had this big star-studded party at uh, Planet Hollywood. It was right down there on uh, 24th Street, right across from the Ritz at the time. I mean, it was awesome. They were having, like, these big Hollywood productions, like, when they was all the stars came out. So we go there after a game, and after the, I'm sitting, I got my back, and the guy says, hey, Mr. Mr. Uh, Stallone want to say hello to you. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't. Oh, of course I want to meet Rocky. Of course I want to meet Rocky. That's cool. And I hear me coming. He says, Mr. Barkley. And I turn like, oh, I'm gonna meet Rocky. I turn around and I look, and this dude's like two two. <laughs> two two. Hey, I said, you Rocky? And I'm like, damn, Rocky, you look so much bigger. I was saying to myself in my head. I was like, and he was awesome. Slice along was awesome. And I was like, yo, man. And after he was gone, he was awesome. And then he turned it. I was like, guys, that dude is tiny. <laughs> so then about an hour later, the guy says, hey, Mr. Schwarzenegger want to say hello to you. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I want to meet the Terminator. This going to be cool. And I hear he comes up. He says, Mr. Barclay. I'm like, uh-oh, terminated behind me. And I turn around, and this dude, like, two feet two. I said, wait, hey, hey, what the hell going on in Hollywood? Ain't nobody there. I'm like, I, I was like, I tell people that story sometimes. I'm like, I turn around, I see Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And I'm thinking, like, I'm going to meet big old Rocky and big old Terminator. 
And both of them dudes, one of them's like five, six, and one's like five, nine. I'm like, damn. There's nothing wrong with that, Charles. <laughs> I know, but, you, but you, if you got, I'm saying, if you're out there killing people and beating up on people, you want to see a big old tough guy. You are a big fan. Like, it's it cracks me up. Like, I remember last year I was having dinner in Memphis for Jordan Spieth's birthday, and you called me, and I was sitting next to Roy McElroy, and you asked if you could talk to him, and I put you on the phone with him. And you were like a little kid. You were so excited to get to talk to this guy. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. He bought that up to me last week. Did he? Uh, so I've been on this conference call every Friday with all these big wigs. They call it Conversations and Cigars. And we just talk about business and how to be successful. And they have a guest every week. So a couple of weeks ago, it was Rory. And this week, it was actually Ian Poulter. Mm. Hmm. And it was awesome. And I'm a big fan of both of those guys. And I've never met Rory. But he said, yeah, I remember last time we talked, it was at Colt's. Uh, it was Jordan Speed's birthday. You you called Colt. I said, yeah, I was surprised y'all let Colt come, come to the party. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm a dude, I'm a sports junkie. Yeah. And th to meet somebody who's great like that. I mean, the first time I met Phil Mickelson. You know, I'm a big fan and so we're playing the Suns, and I meet Amy, who's the sweetest lady ever. And uh, she was so awesome. She, I tell people, she's one of the nicest women I ever met, ladies, women, how you want to pronounce it. And we're out talking one day, and she's like, oh yeah, my boyfriend. I said, I says, okay, well, she says, she says, hey, Phil. And like, she yeah, called him or something, I said, What's his last name? She said, he plays golf. I said, what's his last name? She said, Mickelson. I said, wait, you, you, your boyfriend, Phil Mickelson? <laughs> oh, hell no, Amy. I got to play with that dude. Phil's still in college at the time, but, you know, I keep up with college sports, too. And obviously, being in Arizona, they were giving him a lot of love that he deserved. I'm like, Amy, you know, I like you, but I need to play golf with Phil Mickelson. And he was awesome. And he's crazy. I've never seen a guy try more trick shots than that dude. He's nuts. He goes down swinging. He ain't afraid. He, yeah, but he always used to, he used to always drive me crazy. Time, but he, so, you know, he likes to fly. And he's like, yo, man, you should get on the plane with me. I said, hey, hell no. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that you can only be good at one thing in life. I think golf is your thing. Oh, no, man, I'm good. No, no, no. I'm not getting on your plane with you, man. I said, hell no. I said, we can go play golf anytime you want to. I am not, because, you know, uh, I don't want to be, uh, no, I'm not getting on a plane with you. I, we still joke about that. I'm never getting on a plane with that dude. He's the pilot. I don't blame you. Yeah. No, I neither. I've heard some stories, by the way, about his flying deal and a couple of emergency landings so oh, smart God. man yeah, just because you're good with the wedge don't mean i want you no, flying no, no. me around that's the world. like my financial advisor he's a, he flies and i'm like he always had invited me i'm like, dude i'm not getting on no plane with you i'm like first of all if you're a good pilot how i know my money's safe you're spending too <laughs> much i'm like you should spend all your time working and not be good at anything other than handling my money I don't want my I don't want my financial advisor to be a good pilot because that means he's spending number one he wasted money on an airplane, but also he spent way too much time. I think to be a pilot is something you got to put a lot of time and effort into. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, but uh, good point. We should talk a little bit about your basketball since you are one of the greatest. Yeah, we get to that. Yeah, all time to play. But 
If I was going to ask you, what's the thing you're the most proud of in your basketball career? Um, great question. I think that the longevity that played for, I should, I should say 15 years. I shouldn't count. Even though I played 16, I shouldn't count that last year because I sucked. <laughs> Actually, I sucked my last two years. Uh, man, I got the most out of my body uh, that I could. Because, you know, when you're 6'5 and you're playing against big dudes every night, you got to really use your body all the time, probably – one of the reasons I had so many major injuries and got new hips and things now and probably need another shoulder, but I'm not going to do that because that's just rehab and it keeps me away from the golf course. Uh, you know, but as far as achievements, uh, there's nothing better than the Olympics. Uh, nothing better. Uh, and I would, to your listeners, I would tell these guys, to listen, go to the Olympics one time in your life. You know, TV only going to show the stars and certain events. But when you go in person and see all the other stuff that's going on, other other events, and you see people, and it almost, it, it makes my heart feel good. It's so many people who, like, got no chance of winning. But getting to the Olympics to them is like the holy grail. Like, they have built their whole life around, like, I made it to – and, like, when you meet these people in the village or on the street, because it's pretty confined most of the time. Like, it, it like, dude, like – and they, they, they got no chance of meddling or even getting to the finals, but they have so much pride that they made it to the Olympics. It's pretty cool. Awesome. So to be in the Olympics twice and represent your country uh, is pretty amazing for me. When you were on those dream teams, like the you guys were winning by like average margin of victory, like 40 points, 35 points, whatever it was. Was there ever, was that like basically, you guys were so much better than everyone else in the world. Was, was that just like a vacation? You're like, hey, we're going to show up and we're going to embarrass another country tonight. Or was there ever a point in either of those two Olympics that you played on where you're like, yo, we got to really show up tonight and we got we to gotta lock in because this team could actually beat us? Well, the games, you know, people looked at the final score, but the games were not as – a couple of them were really bad blowouts, but most of the games were like competitive a little bit because if you actually go back and look, the only advantage we had was depth. Okay, so Spain, uh, Croatia, Yugoslavia, Croatia. I mean, it's, uh, they're, they're like they all had at least four or five NBA players. But then when they went to their bench, they bought Manny Moe and Jack uh, <laughs> in the game, and we bought in Carmelo, David <laughs> yeah. Robinson, Chris Mullen. So if you go back and look at those games, for the first 10 minutes, the game was relatively close. But once we went to the bench, they could not have the firepower to keep up with us. But, you know, you said it, wasn't, it couldn't have been a va- – it wasn't a vacation for the aspect like, number one, we going in, we didn't know we were going to win every game by X amount of points. But we did know if we lost, it would be the biggest upset mm-hmm. in the history of civilization. Mm-hmm. And Chuck Daly was so good at that, saying, guys, 
y'all, uh, we're not going to lose. But hypothetically, if y'all were to lose, do y'all know we probably couldn't get back in the country? Yeah. And uh, and that was the thing that kept us so. But the thing that it was so awesome because I didn't like '96. '96 sucked. Because the guys were just total assholes, complaining about starting, complaining about playing time. That's why I say I tell people '92 was amazing, because I got the greatest team ever. Nobody complained about playing time. Nobody complained who was starting. Like Chuck had two different starting units, and they basically just played like ten minutes, and then other guys played ten minutes, and. Nobody ever complained. We got we had we got together every night and had a great time. And then when I got to '96, I, first of all, I wasn't gonna play in '96 because I said, "Hey, let somebody else enjoy this." And and uh, Lenny Wilkins says, "No, I need you to be a leader of the team because we're gonna have a bunch of young guys." I said, "Okay, I'll do it." But guys started complaining, and it was in Atlanta because I obviously I didn't take all my family and friends to Spain, so my hometown is about two hours at Birmingham area so it was great for everybody to get over to come over and drive over and see us but i didn't have a good time because guys were complaining so much it was a it wasn't a lot of fun for me i enjoyed it because it was the olympics but man when guys started complaining about playoff playing time and they wanted to start i did not like that at all that's crazy. That's, yeah, I never heard yeah. that before. I love it. That's cool. You know, during all those times and during your amazing career, could you ever imagine that one day you would be a broadcaster or an analyst on TV? Never. So the guy who, my mentor, who talked to me about television. So what happened to me was uh, I got, in my third year, I was becoming a star. And... I was learning how to be famous, uh, you know, because Dr. J was moving on, Moses was moving on. I was becoming a star. I think that's the, my third year, the first year I made the all-star team. So, obviously, then they started coming to you. Mm-hmm. At that point, I was just a stupid rookie. And then I was, you know, the next year I was just still a basically um, – they went to Doc, Moses, Maurice Cheek, Andrew, Tony, Bobby Jones. Then they finally got to me when it came to interview. But by my third year, I became a star. And I was trying to say the right thing all the time. And then it took me about half the season to realize that no matter what you say, it doesn't matter. Half the people are going to like it and half the people are going to dislike it. And I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. It doesn't matter what I say. And then I said, okay, well, you're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to do it your way or try to make everybody happy. So after that, I said, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen now. I'm going to be a straight shooter. Some of y'all going to like it, and some of y'all going to kiss my ass. <laughs> and I was 100%. I said, I'm going to tell the truth from this point on. I ain't going to worry about who I make happy, who I make unhappy. I'm going to tell my truth. Even if I'm wrong, I'm going to tell my truth. So then that's the way I end, live the rest of my career. Uh, just, I'm going to be, hey, guys, you asked me a question. I didn't come to you and say, hey, let me say something. You guys asked me a question. I'm going to be honest. So my mentor, Dick Ebersaw, ran NBC at the time. He said, Charles, can we get together next time we got y'all a national game? I said, of course, because he was always great. He says, I want you to come into television when you're done playing. I'm like, Wow. He said, now let me explain why. He said, you're going to be great on TV. 
He said, you're always going to be in trouble, but you're going to be great on TV. I says, what do you mean? He says, yeah, he says, you know, people tell you they want the truth, but they only want the truth if it's their truth. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, he said, everybody always, he says, one thing I like about you, you're going to tell the truth. You don't care who likes it or dislike it. He says, fans going to like it because fans get sick and tired of people lying to them on TV or telling them their favorite player is great when he's not great. And he says, I know you're going to be a straight shooter, but like you're going to get in trouble all the time because people don't really want the truth. And I said, you know what? I started laughing. I said, and uh, I says, okay. And I said, okay, I'm going to really. And one of the hardest decisions I had to make. So I I have made a decision to go to, to NBC. And a friend of mine, Michael Jackson, worked at Turner. He says, hey, man, uh, I hear you going to NBC. I says, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking on it, but I'm leaning that way. He says, do me a favor. Uh, make the prop me up. Come meet with the people at TNT. And I go down. We have a great meal. And we sit around smoking cigars. And I says, well, what is your guy's goal? He, he says, he says, he says, no, he said, what's your goal, Charles? I said, I want to be on TV. And I want to talk basketball, but I really want to talk social issues, but not all the time because people don't turn on sporting events to talk about social issues. He says, he says, well, you know, you're probably not going to get to do that at NBC. He says, we'll give you all the, you, we, we own CNN. We got a gazillion networks. We can put you in position to talk about anything you want to. I'm like, really? And we have like a, a hour and a half conversation after dinner just about that. I said, I want to be able to talk about social issues. But like I say, I'm not going to do it all the time because I think you have to be selective because people don't turn on sports to hear social issues. So then I got home around 1, 2 in the morning. I called my agent. I said, hey, I got a problem. He said, what's going on? He says, I says, I think I'm going to sign I really want to go to TNT. He says, you want me to call uh, Dick Ebersol? I said, no. I said, I tell you what, let me sleep on it. Uh, and then I and we'll talk about it in the morning. He said, okay. So I slept. I didn't sleep good at all, to be honest with you. I was up like five in the morning. like Because I knew it was like, I should go to TNT. Because they're going to give me more of a platform to talk about stuff. So then I said, I called him about five, six in the morning. I said, hey, I said, get up. He says, it's like six in the morning. I says, I'm your client. You work for me. Get your ass out of bed. And we joke about it to this day. And I said, hey, man, I'm going to go to TNT. He says, what do you want to do? I says, I'll call Dick Ebersol myself. And that, that was, and he's been great to me even to this day. But that was a really difficult decision because the man who, talked to me into going into television has been responsible for all my success. And that's one of the things that makes you great is like you do say what you think. You don't sugarcoat it. You're not trying to be PC from yeah. at least from an outsider's perspective from what it looks like. Like you look like you're yeah. saying what you actually believe. But has there ever been a point in your career where you've been on air like in, uh, you know, on TNT and, and said something and immediately thought like, oh, like no, that no, one's going to no, be a problem. No, 
but I knew it was, uh, uh, things have come back. So a couple of examples. Obviously, you know, Michael was my best friend for a long time. And I said, uh, Michael's, uh, I said, I love Michael like a brother. I remember the show very, very well. So I'm sitting there and I was saying, you know, we were talking about the job he was doing. I said, he, Michael, I love him like a brother, but he's never going to be successful as a general manager as long as he's hired only his friends. And when you're famous, the number one thing you got to do is surround yourself with people who hold you accountable. But when you're Michael Jordan or Charles Barkley or, or, or any famous person, okay, so most of the time, most of the people on your payroll, they're flying around in your private jet. You're buying all the drinks. You're buying all the dinners. So nobody's ever going to tell you no, ever. So you have to surround yourself with people like, no, man, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you've had too much to drink. Maybe you uh, have, this is, these are things that happened to me. A guy says, my bodyguard says, hey, let's go. I said, where are we going? He says, you've gambled enough tonight. You're losing. It's not going to change. Or he'll say, hey, you've had too much to drink. Let's go. And I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You have to empower your friends to have that type of power. And so to get back to the point with Michael, he was only hiring friends. And listen, I like Rod. When we so I lost one time and uh, I'm playing for the Rockets, and Michael calls me about three, four in the morning. Um, he's, "What you doing?" I said, "Nothing. Sitting here sucking. We lost last night." He said, "I'll pick you up in four hours." I said, what? He says, I'm coming to get you. We're going to go play some golf. The season's over. You need to get away. And in four hours, he picked me up at the private airport right by my <laughs> house on his private jet. And I get on there, and uh, Daryl Walker's on there, and he said something that i that never forget. He says, we can't mess this up. And so to get back to my original point, like I, I said, and I said on the air, I didn't think Michael was going to react like that. I want to be honest with you. And I said, he's never going to be successful as long as he just hired his, his kiss-ass friends and who's going to always agree with him. And next commercial break, I see his name pop up. Oh, and he is MFing me up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's the last time we spoke. Uh, so, so to answer your question, then the one time I got to tell you this Kobe Bryant story. Remember the game where he wouldn't shoot? Yeah, I do remember that game. I was the first person to call him out after that game. I said, this dude is trying, he's trying to prove a point. He's just wrong. So we get off the air. Kobe, apparently my words have gotten back to Kobe. He texts me for the next three hours. And we go back and forth for three hours. He won't pick up the phone. He keeps sending me texts. And we go, he's going crazy for three hours. And we laughed about it years later. But for three hours, he's MFing me, you SOB. I'm like, yo, man, pick up the phone. I, I can't text what I'm trying to. And I and I was I said, I just didn't like what you did. Nothing, you were 100% wrong, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but those are probably the only two times. Well, I had serious, not even serious ramifications. 
is that hard for you like as a former like your top 50 greatest players of all time but when you do criticize somebody who is a friend of your like you mentioned you and michael were like best yeah. friends you and kobe have a great relationship you say something that's like critical of those guys is that a hard thing to do yes uh and colt's gonna have to learn that now that he's doing television yeah like some of those guys are gonna be his friend and he gonna have to say man what a crappy shot by rory or jordan and like you hope their friendship is strong enough like dude you just hit us Crappy shot. Like, but I can't I can't get on TV and say this organization sucks over here. And then when somebody says something, well, what about your, your brother Michael? Well, he's not doing a good job either. I can't say, oh, he's doing a good job. Yeah, he's you, doing good. you lose all your credibility. And first of all, uh Colt, he he understands and I understand like it's not I, like that I wake up in the morning and say, I cannot wait to get on TV and crush somebody today. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. The game plays itself out. Like, I wish it's a great game and everybody played well, but if a guy plays awful or does something stupid, not just on, uh, on the court but in life, part of my job is to go on TV or radio and talk about it. I don't get to talk – uh, just because so, this is one thing that drives me crazy. I said, I don't get the luxury. I don't get to only talk about the good stuff. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish it could be like all uh, roses and sunshine all the time. But it doesn't work like you have to talk about the bad stuff, too. And that's probably the worst thing about the job, because I know somebody's wife, girlfriend, kids, they're probably watching the game. And it sucks, but you got to do your job. I mean, because the number one thing, if you lose your credibility, like, oh, this guy won't say anything bad about certain guys. Because that's one thing I do actually hate about the media. They have a double standard about guys they like and guys they dislike. That's what bothers me because this is a serious position of power to be on TV or radio because most of these people are never going to meet these guys. So – they're going to say, well, these guys on the podcast the other day said this about Justin Thomas uh, or, or Jordan Spieth or Ian Poulter. So it must be true. Yeah. So that's why I take what I say very serious. As, and like when I have to criticize somebody, I better be 100% factual. At least I can say, hey, man, this is the facts. This is what I said. Do you have a problem? Is it true what I said? I know it might have hurt your feelings and your little wife or girlfriend heard it and she's pissed, but it's just factual. And then most of the time, like I say, I probably had 10 to 15 calls from players or agents in my 19 years on television where I had to say, hey, this is what I said. This is why I said it. And 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 most of the time it's been amicable when it was over. That's because, not. I mean, ten to fifteen. That's that seems not, pretty good. Uh, Nineteen I would think. years. Yes. Because I, I even when I criticize a guy, I try to make it funny. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I know I know his family's watching. Like, I'm not gonna get on TV and say a guy sucks. I mean, no players of the NBA suck, but obviously some guys aren't as good as others. Yeah. You like going at that Draymond Green a little bit. I like Draymond. Yeah, I like he's that. He's a funny dude. <laughs> I enjoy I that. I told you. He gets – you know, I, I told you. He's like the guy in the boy band 
who gets hit by drive-by panties going by, and he thinks the girls are throwing the panties at him. He don't realize he's standing <laughs> he's standing next to Justin Timberlake. Hey, <laughs> hey you're, the, you're not the guy. You're just in the boy band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got hit by some panties. They were not, they you were standing next to this dude, the good looking dude. Like um Harry Styles. You're next to Harry Styles. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> so hey, now listen, he's a good guy. Uh, he's a really good dude and he's a good player. But I just get annoyed when role players start thinking like uh I, I I'm like, yo man, you see how you play without Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant? You're averaging eight, five, and four. Those are like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's the player you are, really. That's right. That's perfect because I want to ask you this. Like, when you do make a critique of a player, and you mentioned Draymond Green, perfect example, and he comes back with, like, yo, Chuck can't say anything. You ain't never won no rings. I got rings. Like, you, you don't get to speak on that. How annoying is that, or how do you even respond to that? I don't even get mad about the ring thing uh, because, I mean, part of being a star, and me and Tiger had this conversation one time about bad press. And I told him this, and I tell all the guys, even the young guys I mentor today, I say, it ain't right, it ain't wrong. That's just how it is. That's just how it is. Because uh, I'm not, uh, be, I'm very careful how I phrase this. Um, nobody, when you're a star, there's a double standard. That's just the way it is. Like nobody ever walks up to Seth uh, Sabalo and says, Seth, you didn't win the championship. Uh, Nobody ever walks up to uh, Charles Oakley and says, Patrick Ewing didn't win a championship. Charles Barkley didn't win a championship. Patrick Ewing didn't win a championship. Uh, Carmelo didn't win a championship. They never go like, hey, Byron Russell, you didn't win the championship. And I says, okay, that's just the way it is. Uh, it's a double standard, and that goes with being the man, plain and simple. Absolutely. You were the man, that is for sure. But – I want to ask you this because you are a big sports junkie. You watch everything, and you're very critical of sports broadcasters, I'd say. Who's your favorite to listen to? How am I critical of sports Well, no, you're very mm, – not critical. I wouldn't say critical. You're, you're, you have an opinion about them, and you think certain guys are good and certain guys aren't. Are oh, not other than Skip Bayless, who's a punk ass, and I hate him. <laughs> there, we there, go. Go. there we go. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, other than him – That's critical. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, but who, no. do you, who do you enjoy listening to? Well, I think – uh, David Faraday is great. Mm -hmm. And two guys who just got let go. I love McCord and Costas. And obviously I'm a little biased because I live here in the mm -hmm. desert. But I thought they were great. Um, it's going to be interesting to see that how the new guys work because you're so used to seeing McCord and Costas. And I thought they were a perfect all and water combination. Because mm -hmm. Gary is hilarious and Peter is a great teacher. And it, it kind of like it, it's kind of like I look at our show. People say, "Why are your shows so good?" I says, "We have found the perfect mix of if you want to talk serious basketball, we can be serious, but if you just want to laugh and have shits and giggles, we can do that also." And that's the hardest thing on television because I don't think people understand. We're on from eight to two in the morning. Nobody wants to talk seriously about basketball for six hours. Not me, who loves basketball. And to get you guys to watch, we have to find the perfect mix of, okay, if the game – first of all, we hope the game is good. But we can't just sit there and X and O you to death. So the part I'm using about Peter and Gary, if you want to break down a swing, 
Peter is awesome. Mm -hmm. But if you want to laugh, <laughs> Gary is awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, those guys are fantastic. Uh, John McEnroe, is, I love listening to him. And his brother Patrick, they're great together. Um, Tony Romo's doing a fantastic job. And hopefully, woo, man. <laughs> he got paid for yeah. it, too. Yeah, hey, Yeah. Man, it's $18 million a year. That's pretty yeah. good. That's good work if you can get it. No kidding. Going to be about a million bucks a game when he does the playoffs. Oh, my good. goodness. That ain't a bad gig but if you could get it. But y'all show over at TNT, the NBA on TNT. I mean, y'all look like y'all honestly are just having a blast doing it. I mean, do you still look forward every day to going to work or every Thursday, I guess? First of all, it should be a blast. Yes. Because we only sit around talking about stupid basketball. <laughs> I tell people, they're like, you look like you're having fun. I'm like, dude, we're talking about basketball. We're not saving the world. Oh, uh, like I said, I said, listen, we're not cops. We're not firemen. We're not teachers. We're not in the service. Those are like real jobs. And again, uh, now, you know, you got to throw the nurses and everybody else in there on, on the front line of this virus. But like, we get paid money to watch basketball. We should be in a good mood. I mean, I told him, I said, it's going to suck when I die because I can get used to getting paid to watch basketball. I'm like, I want them to, to, to roll me out there in the wheelchair. <laughs> like, because uh, like I say, I'm going to wait. Y'all going to pay me to watch basketball? Oh, y'all going to, I can't wait to go. <laughs> no, so, to, no, I it's, it's it's a lot of fun. But, man, it's just, we get paid. I, I, first of all, I, w I would watch anyway. Yeah. To get paid to do it is kind of like stealing, to be honest with you. That's awesome. You mentioned the oil and vinegar with McCord and Casas, right? Like, that's the perfect combination. I yeah. feel like when I watch you guys on TNT, like, you got the same thing. Like, you and Shaq occasionally, like, go at each other, right? Like, you're at each other's throats. And, and Kenny and Ernie just sit back like, yo, we got to let this thing happen. What happens? I always wonder, because I watch you guys go at each yeah. other's throats. What happens at commercial break when that ends? Like, what's the dynamic? Do Kenny and Ernie look at you like, hey, dude, y'all got to chill out? Or are they like, hey, everything's good. That was perfect. Well, it's weird talking to Shaq about basketball. What I mean by that is he doesn't understand, like, there's a strategy. Because he's always been the biggest, best player. Like, being like Kenny was a, a, a good NBA player. And I had a really good career. But, like, I have to have a strategy every game. Like, when I go against Kevin McHale, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Larry Bird, guys, like, I have to, like, okay, this is what was just his strength, this is his weaknesses. And Kenny had to say, like, if I'm playing against Russell or Steph, those are, like, two different animals. And we'll be trying to explain to Shaq, like, <laughs> yeah. yo, man, you – he's looking at us like, that's no strategy. Just get a ball to your best player, let him dominate. And we figured out, like, easily, he's never had to think his way. And I don't mean dumb, like, not thinking dumb. Like, he's always been the biggest, strongest, baddest man on the block. And he never had to adjust to playing against. He's like, no, y'all going to have to adjust to me. And I says, and other than Wilt Chamberlain, I don't think there's probably been any other basketball player who he was just bigger, stronger than everybody else, and he was unstoppable. So he gets mad when we try to explain stuff to him, and it's hilarious. 
because he, he he's not hearing it. He's like, nah, there's no strategy out here. Just give me the ball and let me dominate. I'm like, dude, that doesn't work for anybody but you and Will Chamberlain. So, but but so but once 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 we go to commercial break, we just start laughing because me and Ken are like, yo, man, we're trying to explain to you there is a strategy out here, but he's not hearing it. Yeah, because it gets heated sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's fun to watch, but I'm like always wondering, like, yo, what happens when they go to break? Are those two like still going? Oh at no, it? no. Well, when we go to break, uh, we we're fine, but like. He get first of all, he gets heated, and I love it. Like you, you guys know, if you got a friend and you do something that annoys him, you don't stop doing it. You just really rile him up even more. Yeah. So when I get him going, and Kenny's slapping me on the legs, so I'll stop it, man, stop it. And I'm like going crazy because I love it. I do when I when I get I, uh, when I get under his skin. I'm going I'm gonna throw gasoline on the fire. I'm not gonna let it go. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And it's the best to watch. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. why the show is so yeah. good, because you never know when it's gonna happen. It's like, oh, here they go. Here yep. they go. And you gotta watch it. Well, Drew, should we get into emergency nine or you let's get else? into it? Right, it so feels like that time. Charles, we do this with every guest. We have nine fun questions. Get to know a little bit more about you. And then that's the end of our show. Yeah. You ready? You you think you're okay with emergency that? Emergency nine? Emergency E9. Nine. Okay. Okay, first right. one, we ask every guest, if there's a movie being played about the life of Charles Barkley, who plays it? Mm. Um, wow, that's a great question. Uh, James Earl Jones. Oh, nice. Is that who you're Literally say? the one I wrote down. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll direct it. Tell Spike to screw off, <laughs> <Yeah>. bro. <laughs> first awesome. of all, you don't have a pen and paper, so you wrote it down? It's on right here. Okay, I'm just messing yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I typed it. We've I'm had some interesting it. answers from James Earl. That's yeah. a good one. We had, Gary Woodland said Denzel would play him. Oh yeah. I don't think he understands how this works. And <laughs> by the way, John Daly said Matt Damon for his first answer. What do you think about that? That's another good one. How about that? We said, uh, that don't There's seem a better right. chance of me playing John Daly than Matt Damon. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, number two. All right, Charles, number two. I know you've talked about getting into politics in the past, but if Charles Barkley ran for president, who do you want as your VP? Um. Anybody. Anybody. Michelle Obama. <laughs> All I, right. I take her as my running mate. Perfect. Okay. Any reason yeah. why? Actually, or, or the, the governor of New York, Cuomo, right now is on fire. He's all over. He's all he's on fire right now. So I like Cuomo a lot. Too. Are you done with politics? Are you? I'm are done you removing with politics. That? Like you're not I, doing it? No, because I figured out one thing that most people are starting to figure out now that both of these parties are full of shit. Not listen. I, I've been a Democrat my entire life, and other than me being able to dribble a basketball, they haven't done anything for me. And the Republicans, they're going to do what they do. They're going to take care of people who got money. So both of these parties are full of crap. I wish more people would realize that. I think you'd run on that right now and probably win. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you listen. say that right there yeah, and yeah. you get you get the majority. All right, cool. All right, number three. Who's a shittier tipper, Tiger or MJ? Oh, it's a, uh, that, that'll be both. <laughs> that'll be both. Right, that'll be both. Uh, hey, they're that's both a, cheap, huh? They're both cheap. They're both cheap. And, and, you know, the thing is... I, I don't think they understand that when people give you stuff free, you supposed you probably should tip them more than the meal cost. Mm -hmm. Like when I've been in restaurants and they have given me a bunch of free stuff, 
I would number one, you always say thank you, but also you're like, okay, here's a hundred for the staff. Just because they give you that respect and give you some free, that does not mean it's free. Like I say, no, you got to tip. Actually, you can't leave five dollars or ten dollars or twenty dollars. If somebody give you and your boys some drinks and food, you just say okay. You say, hey, Mister Barkley, we want to do this. Oh, that's really nice, guys. We're gonna put a hundred dollars minimum there for the staff. I'll never forget. We were in Vegas one time together, and me and some friends come over to Mandalay to meet you. And I ordered some drinks from your waitress while you're playing blackjack. Three drinks. She comes over. I give her a hundred. You go, what the hell is she going to do with that? <laughs> Threw it off the table and left her a lot more. I'm like, I thought I was being, I didn't want to be the cheap Dude, guy. I, I, thought I, I didn't want to look cheap. I thought there. I was being overly generous. Oh, with that's the great though. But you are very generous, I will say. You take care of everybody. Well, you know, it. you should tip. You should tip if, if you can do it. Everybody can't do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most places, that's how they make their money. I mean, they don't make any money uh, from the establishment. They make all their money on tips. And I always say this. A hundred – now, this is going to sound like an asshole move, but it's, it's the truth. <laughs> Perfect. No, no, it's true, though. Like, a hundred dollars don't mean nothing to me, but it might mean a lot to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can say I, I never poo-poo on money, but th- that's the best way – when, I, when, I, when I'm thinking about tipping people, I always say to myself, it don't mean that, that to you, but it's probably going to mean a lot to them. That's awesome. You could run on that, too. There's yeah. another one. You, you, got the, you got the vote right there. All right, number four. More likely to win an Oscar for Best Actor, Charles Barkley in Space Jam or Charles Barkley in Capital One commercials? <laughs> it's tough, dude. I feel like you've, I feel like you've grown. Well, let me just say this here. It's an honor and a privilege to work with Sam Jackson. He is the most giving guy I've ever been around. Like, you know, like he's a, he, when I'm struggling, you know, like they say, well, try to say it uh, enthusiastically or sullen. Or like they throw a bunch of words when you're on the set. And Sam always says, Chuck, try it like this. Like not the point where he's like, you don't know what you're doing. Try it. Like every now and then, here's a chuck. Try it like this. I mean, the guy is so awesome to work with. That's cool. Uh, yeah, he's so awesome to work with. So I got a much. Oh, what you know? I got to tell you something that really, really sucks. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. I'm so pissed that they so they canceled the Capital One spot. We had already filmed the spots for March Madness. And it's probably the most fun I've ever had filming a spot. We had like five or six. But my favorite spot that the world probably never going to see is it's several, two, at least two or three commercials. So they bring in the Final Four is in Atlanta this year. They bring in Gladys Knight. Wow. And me, Sam, and Spike, we'll be dazzled and we're the pips. <laughs> God. We rehearse. How about this? We rehearse for a week, two or three hours a day, dancing. They bring in a choreographer oh, and everything. Uh, Please tell me you have footage of this. I, I don't have. I did, uh. they, they still. Uh, uh, so we rehearse, and we're the pips. So in the first part of the commercial, and the Chuck, why are we taking the train? And I walk on. This was the first part of the commercial. And I says, "Tell him, Gladys." And she starts singing the Midnight Train to Georgia. 
And that's the, how the commercial starts. That's so cool. Yeah, it's just, it's like I, I do, I do this big reveal when we walk. Chuck, why are we taking a train? Why can't we take a plane? And I go, tell him, Gladys. <laughs> and we're on that midnight train to Georgia. It is so awesome. And then, like I say, the rest of the, the rest of the spot is us as the pips. And like I say, they bought in these choreographers and everything. We rehearsed. It was gonna be hilarious. And now the world ain't ain't gonna uh, get to see that's it. That's gotta come. I mean, they can't just squash that and like put it away. That's gotta come out at some I, point I, when I, the world I, gets back. I would hope. I would hope that they do it. But like I say, it it only work on the train to Georgia. That's the only thing. Like I think they would show it, but yeah. because we're not going to Georgia. For the final four, and I, man, I, I was pissed. Was that your best work ever as an actor? Uh, it was my. It was the only time I've ever had to rehearse dancing. Okay, that makes it worth it. Yeah, right yeah, there. yeah. That makes it the best. Uh, and let me tell you something. When we started rehearsing, we all had three left feet. <laughs> I mean, and I'm gonna say this: He might get mad. He's not gonna get mad. He know Spike is the worst dancer. God, in the, I was just about to Spike, ask who's the worst. No, so, uh, Spike is the worst dancer. Uh, but. But it was so much fun. Just, I mean, we laughed so much doing rehearsal. That's hilarious. I mean, we laugh. I mean, we laugh a lot on the commercial when guys screw up their lines and everything. But to watch each other, Sam Master was decent because I think he's done some. He did some Broadway shows early in his career. Really? Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But me and Spike were the two worst dancers. But I can say I'm better than Spike. That's awesome. Doesn't Spike yeah. direct them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's a problem. He shouldn't have directed into some dancing when he's the worst dancer. You would think. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's All an right. awesome story. All right, number five. We know you've had some beef with Charles Oakley in the past. Who Only because he hates me. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, like, get it and the thing that's really funny about it. <laughs> the guy, hey, like, it. no, no. The thing that's no, really funny. Like, every three years, like Clockwork, he'll go on some radio show and just talk about me like a dog. And... And I and I says, dude, I got nothing bad to say about Oakley. First of all, we've been retired for twenty years. I don't know what. Like, I've been front of the lamb beer now. And when he come to work with us sometime, and I've bumped into him, but for some reason he hates me. I have no idea why, zero idea why. But every probably about three years, he'll go on some that and like. I don't even know why they have him on the radio. To be honest with you, like. <laughs> He only comes on to bash me like every three years. And I just start laughing every time I hear like, dude, we're old men now. Let it go. I, first of all, I still, I, to this day, I'm not lying. I have no idea what I did to him. But I, but I just laugh about it. Well, my question was going to be because your bodyguard, James, is a pretty big man. And Charles Oakley's not a small one. Who yeah. wins in a fight between James and Charles Oakley? Well, my bodyguard has a, a, a been a cop for 30 years. Shout out to James Haywood, Houston, Texas. His wife, Denise, just retired. She was a cop for 30 years also. But uh, he's a black belt. And uh, I like his chances against anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You I've fought seen him. He's a, a big man. Yeah. You fought, yeah. Charles in a pre, or you, you fought Charles Oakley in a preseason game, if I remember correctly, which is th that level of competition doesn't exist Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to figure out. I hope he's not uh, – Still mad about a fight that happened in a preseason game 30 years ago. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> Let it go, Let it go bro. Up. Let it go. It's over. Yeah. Sounds like he is. All right, next question. If you had to be quarantined in a hotel room with one member of either dream team that you were on, 
who would be the least per- the person you would like to be quarantined with the least? Least. Yeah, the worst dude to be quarantined with. Probably Michael. <laughs> oh, how come? Because he he would talk about them beating us in the finals every day. Like if you see that if you lose to him, you never gonna hear the end of it. So he would remind me every single day that they beat us in '92 for the championship. Makes sense. Yeah, that's partly Jerry Krause's fault. I feel like for saying no, I like not. Dan Stop Marley, that. and he's like, I'm gonna yeah. obliterate this human being. No, that was it, you know <laughs> I actually so take a, I take a lot of responsibility. I love Dan, by uh, the way. Oh, I love Thunder. I love Dan. I love he's Dan. great dude. Yes, you know I take a lot of responsibility because I think it was my fault we did. Because if you go back and look, the only game we played bad was Game One. And I take responsibility for not having us ready to go in game one. And what was really interesting about that is when I watched that uh, last dance thing, Michael said the exact same thing. Remember they lost game one against the Lakers? He said the lights were too bright for us. and But they won every game after that. But I take – because I actually think we lost the series in game one because you got to win game one. But I take responsibility for not having my team ready to play because the lights were too bright, and that's on me in game one. And Jerry Krause for saying he liked Dan Marley. <laughs> so, so Michael was like, yeah. I'll score 50 on this dude. Well, what, what, one thing that's interesting about this uh, last dance thing is how Jerry Reinsdorf has thrown Jerry Krause under the bus and backed over him like 10 times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, Jerry Krause broke up the Bulls. Come on, man. Reinsdorf didn't want to pay anybody. Yeah, you're the owner. You can get rid yeah. of Jerry Krause. Yeah, I know. I'm like, because yeah. what's really funny, you know, they made a big deal out of how much money Michael uh, Scotty made uh, those those years. And the truth of the matter is, other than the two years that Michael made $30 million, he was making a little bit more than Scotty. Yeah. Uh, and then Michael made $30 million those last two years. But if you go back and look at the big picture, Scotty actually made more money in his NBA career than Michael did. But the bottom line, Rondorf didn't want to pay those guys. But it was time to pay Scotty. Uh, he got rid of Horace Grant. People forgot that. He didn't want to pay Horace Grant. He got Dennis on the cheap. And then he complained the two years he paid Michael $30 million. And then it, he broke up the team because it was probably time to, it was time to pay Scotty. And uh, – but I love the way he just threw Jerry Krause. Like, Jerry Krause <laughs> broke did. up – Yeah, Jerry Krause broke up the Bulls. Give me a break. All right, number seven. I don't know if a lot of people know, but you're actually a very clean, kind of a clean freak. Yes. Very OCD-ish, I would say. Uh, no, y'all are just sloppy pigs. No, don't <laughs> say y'all. I'm just, no, I mean the world. Uh, I am a, a a neat freak. Well, I talked to your buddy Roy Green last night. Oh, Lord. And he told me he just used to love coming to your house and just moving things around, messing with things. Yeah. And it would drive you crazy. But I want to know, what's the thing you're the most OCD about? I don't think there's – I mean, I just like clean. clean. I mean, I, I laugh when we go to dinner. Like, you clean up Yeah, you can't, you can't have stuff sitting around, man. <laughs> like, I, I think it's important to be clean. I, I really do. And I think it's important to take care of your stuff. You know, growing up poor, uh, my mom was a maid, so – I was the oldest brother, so my mom would say, Charles, if this house is not clean when I get home, I'm going to beat you to death. (laughs) 
And it's good incentive. Said, yeah, no, yeah, because she said, and, it, and now it's just a habit 50 years later because her thing was, I'm not going to go and clean these people's houses, then come home and clean. So I'm the oldest brother. So I'm cleaning the whole day before she comes back home. Because my grandmother, who lived with us also, she worked in a meat factory. So I'm babysitting two two brats, my brothers, and I am cleaning so my mom don't have to clean when she gets home. The only thing I wouldn't do is dishes. Yep. But the rest of the house uh, was immaculate. Roy told me he used to just love messing oh, with you. Oh, you're crazy, man. I'm like, yo, man, that thing was not there. I'm like, <laughs> and Roy's been one of my great friends for a long time. And there's no there's nobody better to play golf with. Ever, I love it. That's I'm awesome. shocked by your your OCD that I've just been informed about. I wouldn't I wouldn't have pegged you for that guy, but I like it. I respect it. Next question: Your nickname, round mound or rebound? A, love it or hate it? B, who gave it to you? Uh, love it. Uh, probably. So when I was in college, uh, I had a list. They had a list of probably ten nicknames. They were trying to the wide load from Leeds. The wide load wide from Leeds. That, that's yeah. not catchy. That's a terrible one. Uh, the Crisco Kid. Yeah, saw that okay. one. That's uh, better. I can't even remember all of them. That's how long ago. But I always remember the wide load from Leeds, my hometown, <laughs> Leeds, Alabama. Uh, the Crisco Kid, Bread Truck. Not bad. Um, but round mound and rebound stuck, and. Uh, I probably been with it the longest, and um, I got no problem with who it. Who coined it, though? Do you know who? Uh, like, I, who was the I, first guy to call you that? I, I, uh, there was a guy named Jim Fife, who was the radio voice of Auburn, and uh, I think he finally settled on the round mound or rebound because uh, I was in college for three years and I led the league in rebounding every year. Uh, I remember my coach. We were talking one night, and he said, I said, Coach, I got this class I'm really concerned about. He says, son, you're leading the SEC in rebounding. You ain't got to worry about fucking out of college as long as you're leading the SEC in rebounding. <laughs> Shout out, Auburn. Shout out, Shout Auburn. Out. I was like, hey, every year I'm here, I'm leading this league in rebounding, y'all. <laughs> The coach just told me, as long as I'm leading the league in rebounding, I'm on the team. I was there for three years, and then nobody coming close to getting no rebounds. I'm leading this league. That's awesome. <laughs> I ain't got to worry about nothing. No, I ain't got to worry I... about nothing. You guys got to worry about all those classes and things. I just got to get these rebounds. I'm good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're incredible. All right, last one. Is there a dollar amount you would pay to become a scratch golfer instantly? No. It's just – you, but – Two million, be scratched right now. Would you do it? Is it my money? Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> so you you don't want to be that great. You love the game so much, though. Not first of all, it's only two things I do: golf and fish. I love golf uh, because just I love being out in nature. Same thing with fishing. Um, I. I'm good. You're, <laughs> no, you're not. No, 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 no. I don't mean I'm good. Like, <laughs> oh, you mean you're fine? I, like, it means it's all right. But like, like I can go play golf and suck and have a good time. I really can. Would I like to be great at golf? Hell yes. But like, 
<laughs> I got this line I use on people. I tell them, it says, yeah, people are always making fun of my golf game. I said, but you know what? They're making fun of my golf game from work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good point. Hey, hey, yeah, they might make fun of my golf game. You know what they're making fun of? At work. I'm yeah. out here having a good-ass time. That's true. You've, he's always told me from the day we met, I can give him a stroke a hole and there's no chance he can beat me. Oh, I can beat him. Y- y- can, no, you can't give me a – You not, wouldn't hey, have won a hole hey, yesterday. Sh- Chuck, take that, bro. First won of a all, hole? You weren't focused. I was not focused. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, first of all, you call. First of all, he's full of shit too. Yeah, I believe you. He calls me at the last minute, mm-hmm. and he. This uh, is not true. No, you, this is this is real. I believe. Anyways, you. go on. I believe you. Keep going. No, there's nine holes of golf. You didn't invite me to the last minute because you. He played my <laughs> course yesterday, <laughs> and I guess I, first of all, he says, "Hey, I'm." And see, this is you know how he, he didn't think I was gonna come. He says, "Hey, I'm coming over to your course and play." I just wanted you to come say hi. I and, know and, you're actually gonna interrupt my day. Well, first of all. Wait a minute. You made Just me play. Just leave it. Leave it. You made me play. He moved out here out. because of you, bro. Uh, yeah. He moved his guy. Give still. me my shot of hole. Anytime. We, we'll, I'll own you. Don't take that shot. Get I, his ass. Get his ass. Yeah. Hey. Put him to bed. Uh, give me my shot of hole. We can go play anytime, brother. What time? It's 315 right there now. There you go. We got time. 615 Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, man, we really appreciate it. You've oh, been man. an absolute it's, it's, blast. It's thank always. you, Chuck. It's my pleasure, man. Keep doing your thing, brother. You're the best. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate right. you, my man. Anytime, brother. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and that was the one and only Sir Charles Barkley. Sleaze, I mean, there's no better man than him. And what? how entertaining is this guy? Dude, he's one of the best. No filter, like you said. And by the way, for him to give us an hour and 20 minutes and then hung out in the studio for another 30 minutes afterwards, he is as genuine as it gets. One of the nicest guys and said some awesome stories. Perfect timing, too, with what's going on right now with Mike and the last dance and all that stuff. I totally agree. And I just, I just hate that their relationship isn't what it used to be. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, being in the media, I just think it's tough. And he talked about it. Like, like for me, doing TV and stuff, like, I'm going to have to be open and honest and criticize some of my friends, and I hope they understand that that's just part of the job. As long as your friends aren't Michael Jordan, who holds a grudge for anyone, like, not, not walking by and saying hello to you, you should be okay, but it is tough. That's one of the hard things about being in the media. If you're just going to sit there and fluff everybody, what are you there for? So, you know, you got to learn to deal with those. I love how hard he's working on his golf game, but he's absolutely crazy. If he thinks if I give him one shot a hole, he's going to beat me. There's just zero chance. I haven't seen his game in action in a long time, but that seems like an uphill battle. Take me, bro. I will take you just like I'm, I got. may or may not have a little piece of you at 100 to 1 oh, this week. Oh, so man, I can't as wait. As much as it would pain me, it would also I would embrace that. Well, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. But, hey, we keep the big guys coming. Next week, it's another superstar. Who we got, Sleaze? Big dogs only right now. We got Mr. Football, Johnny Manziel himself, Heisman Trophy winner in studio. Incredible interview. Really looking forward to that. We're setting the bar too high. There's nowhere to go for us from here. I totally agree, but have a great day. We'll see you on next week's Golf Subpar. Subpar.